I'm your host, Drew O'Grizzik. Samantha Ming of the Events Podcast. What's going on this week? Hey Drew, lots of awesome events to kick off September. On Tuesday, the first event is a presentation on the five steps to creating a user-centered product or service. This is a great event for founders, product managers, and aspiring UX UI designers. It starts at 5.30 in downtown. The second event is an intro to HTML and CSS. In this sample lesson, you'll learn the basics of building your own web page. It's at the Red Academy at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, BC Jobs is having a talent day. This is a great opportunity for you to network and to connect with top tech companies, including Clio, Hootsuite, and more. It starts at 5 p.m. at the BC Tech Innovation Hub. Also on Wednesday, PHP Vancouver is hosting their September Meetup. Meet fellow PHP developers and hear lightning talks. You can catch this at 6 p.m. in downtown. Moving on to Thursday, at 5.45 at the Microsoft office, there will be a presentation on Xamarin's.net standard 2.0 support and other new and upcoming features. Finally, on Friday, there is an open panel discussion on strategies for securing people and culture expertise and other lessons you can use for your own organization planning. This is happening at 12 p.m. at the BC Tech Innovation Hub. I'm Samantha Ming, and that's this week's top events you should check out. And we're here with Barinder Rosodi from Niche. Brinder, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Drew, for having me on your podcast. So I, I originally reached out to you through Facebook because uh, I heard about Niche and it sounds really cool. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? But then also, uh, there's some other really amazing things about you that I'd love to dive into. Niche is a nonprofit uh, that is working to educate Canadians, but also to bridge industry and government as we move forward into legalizing cannabis. Very interesting. So... Um, cannabis. Why? Why this space? Um, it's very interesting. I was a city councillor in the city of Surrey for a couple of terms. I was a vocal advocate um, to keep dispensaries and facilities that grow cannabis out of our community because I didn't understand it. Um, my experience in the last few years, uh, reading more, learning more, but also experiencing firsthand loved ones or friends and family of loved ones, um, deal with uh, either chronic illnesses, uh, childhood behavioral disorders, or end of life, uh, use cannabis as a medication. And it really opened my eyes. And it also alerted me to the fact that we are now going to be going down the biggest policy change that Canada has experienced in our lifetime, for sure. So it was important to have education and dialogue. Uh, people feel frightened and vulnerable when they don't understand something and are more likely to be against it based on myths. Um, so it's important that we have an organization that is independent that's getting the facts out. That's really uh, amazing. So you were really on the other end, uh, on the other side, against it, opposed uh, opposing this and trying to keep it out uh, of your jurisdiction, I guess. And uh, now you've kind of come full circle. So why the big change? The big change has been because I think 
we're guided by our experiences. Uh, people don't change their mind after reading a policy document most times. Uh, people are guided by emotions and experience. My experience um, with cannabis in a medicinal form has been a very positive one that I've seen. So I've had um, my friend's mom was passing away and she had lung cancer and nothing alleviated her pain like cannabis did, but nothing eased her dad's anxiety like cannabis did. Um, so from a recreational perspective as well, now reading the studies of the effects of alcohol versus cannabis, uh, you don't see a lot of uh, angry high people, but you certainly see a lot of uh, angry drunk people and now looking at the research and my role on Fraser Health about how cannabis might help alleviate the opioid crisis I really think it's time for all of us to understand cannabis better. Wow that's a really interesting perspective so um, I think like a lot of people I, I often assume uh, when I hear cannabis or a medical cannabis quote unquote that uh, it's really just people getting high. Uh, but that's not necessarily the case. And in fact, it might not even often be the case, although it might be. I think uh, currently the situation, as I understand it in Vancouver, is that um, none of the shops that are currently selling for medical or recreational whatever uh, are operating or doing so technically legally. It's, uh, it's something that I believe uh, you can only purchase if you have a particular government issue card from government licensed producers. Um, but all of this is expected to change or, or at least uh, something is, is coming up next year. And as you said, this is a, a huge change to policy. I, I don't know if we've ever had something that's been uh, illegal and popular uh, and already uh, an industry alcohol, become, alcohol, become alcohol. Alcohol illegal? <laughs> yes, so prohibition. We've been down this road before, and it's interesting. I had to interrupt you because I'm thinking, wow, people forget that, like you have, that uh, we went through a prohibition on alcohol. We had bootleggers. Did that affect Canada as well? Uh, absolutely, it I did. We had drug, we had uh, rum runners in Canada, and we had prohibition, and we had to move into a legal market from a illegal, I call it pre and post prohibition. And we're in the same space now with cannabis. Uh, I think it's important that people want safe regulated product. People don't want uh, disruption in their neighborhoods. Uh, but at the same time, people want access to both ma medical and the recreational marijuana. Uh, how does niche come into this? So niche comes into this because most people are older people like me, um, are probably of the generation where the war on drugs included cannabis. Uh, we were taught cannabis is a gateway drug. Uh, we have stereotypes about uh, quote-unquote potheads, uh, people who smoke are lazy, don't get a job, they end up living in their mom's couch for the rest of their lives, and all of those stereotypes are absolutely untrue. And education is really important as a nonprofit. It's important to us that we get the facts out, but it's also important to us to, us to help educate decision makers. Uh, people who are making the decisions, they have huge files, not one of them, hundreds of them, and each one of them are very pressing for their community. So where are they going to go for information? That's what we do. So what are some positive things uh, to a community with regards to legalization of cannabis and uh, how does that impact us? What's the positive things around legalization is first and foremost, the courts have already told us that people were with medical conditions should have access to 
marijuana. So it regulates marijuana um, to provide access to patients. It regulates how the product is grown and distributed, which will uh, enhance security of the product itself. It gives decision makers an opportunity to provide cannabis in their communities through retail space that will be done in consultation with government and community, so done in terms that everybody can agree to. So we've seen uh, in the states where they've legalized at state levels in some of the states, um, and each of those states having uh, somewhat different, sometimes very different, sometimes uh, quite similar regulations around it, but it is very highly regulated, unlike maybe almost anything uh, else out there. What do we see happening in Canada? Do we Are we planning on following something at a provincial level or at a government level? So we know that in July 2018, um, by July 2018, the federal government will have um, voted on re- regulation. After that, um, or actually now, the federal government has said to the provincial governments, you need to have the conversation on distribution and retail. The provincial governments, some are moving very quickly, like New Brunswick. They've set up working groups. Their standing committee has done a tour and consulted throughout the province. Others are moving slower. BC is still um, one of the last provinces they haven't yet engaged in consultation. And then what we're going to see is then municipal councils looking at their bylaws to see how they're going to uh, regulate and allow retail stores, whatever form that they look like in their communities. Wouldn't you think that uh, British Columbia would be or should be one of the the forerunners of this? And you're saying we haven't yet engaged? Absolutely. And uh, in fairness to this government, it might be timing in terms of our provincial election and a new government. Um, Part of it is, is uh, BC Bud is uh, known around the world and we do have a large number of pre-prohibition dispensaries and growers. And um, I'm sure government's trying to be respectful of all of those who are involved in industry. But at the same time, Niche has a partnership with um, uh, MAD, Mothers Against Drinking Driving, um, with the Police Chiefs Association and other regulatory bodies that are concerned about product safety and testing for intoxication levels. So I think there's a lot to do and hopefully BC will start their consultation soon. It brings up or uh, raises quite a few, I think, very interesting uh, questions. So now that we have um, people who have traditionally been in this industry, uh, sometimes for generations, uh, and now as it becomes legal, is this something that people want to see happen uh, from the, the, I guess, the growing and distribution side? Um, And then I think in the States, at least, there's been uh, some of the larger companies have been very slow, I think, to pick things up. And that that could be partially because it hasn't been legalized at a federal level yet, uh, and that may takes forever to happen, who knows. Um, And then there still seems to be some sort of apprehension to get involved by some parties, whereas on the other hand, um, some people have just jumped right in. Um, you know, it's it's very interesting and it's very complicated. Um, people are looking at uh, states like Colorado to see what worked, what didn't work. One of the challenges we have is that when they went down the road, they weren't collecting a lot of data. There's not a lot of things to compare it to. Um, we certainly have 
um, different provinces based on their government uh, and different municipalities based on who the leadership there is um, having a very different point of view. And that's where Nisha's stepping in. We want to bring everybody onto the same page with the same information so that decisions can be made collectively and not done in a vacuum because that's a big risk. Uh, we, If we're going to have different regulatory processes around distribution uh, and regulation across the country, we're going to have the same trade wars as we have around BC wine. Can't get BC wine in Ontario, but you can sure buy it in other countries. So I think there's a lot of um, regulatory things, both from the economic point of view, from the medical point of view, from the regulatory and public safety point of view. And uh, Nisha is working to bring all three levels of government and industry together to get them on the same page. So there's also a lot of, um, I mean, smoking has been banned in most public places. uh, And in, in my opinion, should be banned from sidewalks as well. Maybe there can be sectioned areas in back alleys where nobody is or, or something. Um, but what about when it comes to, to marijuana? Uh, something that I've heard in some of the states is that, you know, they have places selling it, but where can people smoke it? They end up smoking it on the street or uh, because often they can't smoke inside their houses, which would be maybe the only legal place they could, and they certainly can't smoke it in a bar or uh, at a cafe. So where do we see that sort of happening? And uh, is smoking still the preferred method, or is that the only way? Are there other other ways of, of consuming cannabis? And, and that's a very good question, and it's uh, interesting because you're right. Uh, we're going to be in the same situation here in BC. Um, health authorities do... I have regulation on where you can smoke anything. Um, uh, you know, it's not going to matter that it is a medicinal cannabis um, joint to help somebody with their pain. What matters is the smoke. So uh, I do think government will have to look at pretty quickly both oils and also edibles. Uh, the other thing is people don't want to smoke the product. They don't want a product that causes disruption in terms of um, the smell of being visible that you you're, you're using something that um, is quite a personal choice. But the other thing is the vape pens are, are something that are on the market. So I think government will have to take a look at those questions pretty quickly after July 2018. I'm pretty certain that will probably be the next phase. So there's more than just THC uh, yes. in marijuana. Yes. And I, I was under the impression that that was it. You know, that gets people high and that's what people want. But there, there are other things that uh, help with different conditions. What, what are they and what might those be? So um, there are two components to the main, to main components, which is the THC and the CBD. Uh, the CBD is the component that doesn't cause a high but has very strong medicinal purposes. It's not going to affect um, your brain, but it will relieve pain. It does help children with epilepsy. It is fundamentally very different than the pot people were smoking in the smoking pit in high school um, or in the bushes or at the bonfire. Um, THC has value. Um, I know a number of seniors who take it to sleep. Um, and But what also matters is the dose. So you can have high THC levels for that buzz and that high, but you can have lower THC levels that help regulate things like sleep and pain and the combination. And then there's the whole conversation around, is it a sativa or an indica? 
you know, uh, people have traditionally said sativa is very uplifting, energizing. Indica is very bring you down to earth, anti-anxiety, um, brings you some peaceful restfulness. And um, those are all things that if you research new strains, that a lot of effort has been put into the quote-unquote genetics of a plant. Uh, each plant is different and each strain is different. So I've heard that uh, in, in British Columbia, uh, they're not even allowed for most places to test them in labs uh, to give a proper sort of, this is the, the THC percentage, this is the CBD percentage. And so people are looking to what sites like Leafly and trying to get an idea, which is not necessarily going to be uh, very strain specific, particularly not, um, I guess, producer specific and definitely not uh, batch specific. No, and that's true. And part of the challenge we have is where do people get good information? So the Center for Substance Abuse, um, the medical doctors who work there, or medical doctors who are very open to suggesting to their patients they should take cannabis, can't tell them which kind or what dose. And part of what um, Anish is working on is taking some of the very uh, comprehensive research that exists and putting it in a digestible format for people to easily digest, but also saying to government, listen, we need to do more research. Um, doctors want certainty on doses. Uh, cannabis, as I understand it, is something that's very individual. So there is a bit of a trial till you figure out what works for you and how your body responds to it because we metabolize it differently. Um, but the other piece there is, um, you know, Veterans Affairs has said, listen, we're, we're, we're now open and wanting veterans to use it for post-traumatic stress, but there's no DIN number for insurance companies to compensate. And so we want equity. We want every patient across the country to be able to have a DIN number and to get this covered by their insurance. But in order to do that, we need more research to be done very quickly. So there's definitely a need there, and perhaps tech can help with that. Um, now, something that I've been quite impressed with is hearing a lot of the stories of you know, my uncle, my friend, mm -hmm. my mother, my daughter, whoever, um, used to have to take all of these medicines uh, to, to alleviate whatever the, the problems were, but they were causing, you know, all sorts of side effects. And it was something that people were just dealing with for years and years sometimes, and still not really getting that much relief in a lot of cases. And then comes cannabis. And wow, now they feel much better. They don't have all of these side effects, but surely there's got to be some side effects. Well, this is the interesting piece. So one of the things that also convinced me that this was a conversation that we needed to have is the fact that um, the side effects from cannabis that are documented are so unlike the ones that have been documented for any synthetic drug or alcohol or any other drug. Um, you know, we, people do not die of a cannabis overdose. Um, people do not get the same type of, uh, side effects around, um, blood pressure, cardiac arrest, and the other things that a lot of the medicines do. And those patients that I have now met with in my learning who are dealing with, say, post-traumatic stress syndrome, 
it doesn't alter the formulation they're using doesn't alter their personality to numb it down. Family members can't recognize family members who are being treated for severe depression or post-traumatic stress because the medications they are taking um, are so strong that they alter a personality. And and cannabis doesn't have those side effects. And, and that's where how our body relates to cannabinoids and how certain medicines um, are synthesized to either deal with serotonin levels, um, but nobody is dealing with cannabinoids. And that's another level of the brain that is actually showing to, once you've been able to either rebuild that or energize that, it shows very good results. So cannabinoid, that's yes. kind of a fun word to say. Yeah. What does it mean? Well, it's interesting, right? It's cannabinoids is talking about the, the circuits in your brain. Um, and that's where there is a lot of promise looking at, uh, where some synthetic drugs are able to deal with certain levels or certain things in your brain, like serotonin levels. Um, cannabinoids are completely different makeup and, and that's where cannabis is quite successful. Okay, so that's been really informative. Um, I, I'd kind of been under the impression that Niche was a, um, a recruitment agency for uh, for the marijuana industry? What we are is we are right now working with industry and government to bring all of those people who um, are interested in any part of industry from a patient to a licensed producer to a student who is looking at a career in cannabis, um, all, all to deliver them good information. We're having a job fair on June 21st at UBC Robson Square. September and, 21st? Uh, September 21st. Uh, what did I say, October? June? Oh, I wish it was June. That's why. <laughs> so do I. Oh, man. Everybody out there is going to agree with that, so we won't cut this part out. But um, definitely um, that that is something we are doing because, you know what, we have a lot of people who have invested now into the business of cannabis, uh, but they're having trouble finding people to employ because nobody's trained anybody. Uh, Kwantlen Polytechnic University, KPU, was the first out the door to actually have two cannabis courses, uh, which was, you know, very good um, visionaries on their part because they're front runners in training people on the components of cannabis and how to grow it. But definitely there, this will be the new green sustainable industry uh, that we've been looking for for job creation. So that that's actually quite interesting. Um, we see sort of the Okanagan, I think, as a place with vineyards and a lot of uh, BC wine coming from there. Um, I, I, I know Tantalus Labs is a licensed producer on the West yeah. Coast, uh, and they've got a, a place out in Maple Ridge, I think. Do we have a sort of, this is going to be BC's uh, cannabis area? No, we, we have, we're fortunate enough to have a number of people who have applications either in process or who have been appro approved. Tantalus is an excellent example of a good, good corporate citizen that understands cannabis culture. And we will have others. Xenobus has um, their license to prove and they will have a facility here in Delta and their other facility is in New Brunswick, one of the largest in Canada. Uh, we have uh, good producers up in Whistler. We have seven acres. We could, we could, the list could go on. Uh, BC will contribute to the sustainable greens um, economy now, but we will have a number of good licensed producers. So I don't know too much about it, but it seems like for uh, the licensed producers, there are some regulations or some uh, something they have to hit certain certain things. And I've seen um, some people sort of 
uh, I don't know if they're protesting, but saying, you know, craft cannabis, craft cannabis. Do we see room in it for the little person? And I, I recently looked at, um, I think, uh, CBC or CNBC had uh, a blog post about, you know, we've, uh, California runs its first multi-state ad for uh for a cannabis-related product, and I was scrolling down, and there was a video. These are cannabis users, and it was for uh, or, or farmers uh, for some some soil. And one of the farmers had a greenhouse on a on a roof in New York or something. Uh, will we see something like that? You know, government right now, I think their priority is around public health and public safety to get legislation in um, that provides an opportunity to provide a product to patients and to recreational users in a regulated fashion. Uh, there is definitely going to be um, NAR conversations around how do we bring the pre-prohibition industry into the post-prohibition world and how do we get everybody to work together. Uh, I think those are decisions now that are in the hands of provincial and municipal governments and uh, they're conversations that are important, but there's no clear path yet. That's why niche is important to bring all the parties together to have that conversation. So it's really like a kind of cultivating the community. A bridge, hundred percent. Yeah. And cultivating is actually a really good word. It's also cultivating understanding uh, for people, for regular Canadians who haven't invested much time or energy or don't use cannabis. So they are aware of why government's going down the road they're going down. Uh, so if I want to find out more information uh, about Niche, where can I do so? Uh, go to nichecanada.com. We are active on Facebook and Twitter. We have on September 21st, not only a job fair, but a sustainability forum coming up. And actually, uh, one of our speakers is um, coming in from the U.S. who is going to talk about uh, farming and, and all of those components. So it's get involved. Um, this industry, not only uh, for users, medicinal recreation, uh, for people who are seeking career opportunities, and for the tech industry. Let me tell you, there's lots of components of tech either in the production, distribution, or in the using uh, phase of cannabis that are going to need to be enhanced because nobody wants anybody standing in front of the door smoking a joint. Definitely a lot of uh, possibilities, I think, for the private sector. But what about in the public sector as well? If we follow suit with what they've done in the States, there's a lot of regulation. Um, everything has to be reported, usually in real time. So that means there there are government compliance contracts to have. Do we see something like that? Yeah, happening? absolutely. And the taxes. And the There's huge tax revenue. Do we have a system for that? I've heard in the states, I'm not sure if it's state by state, um, and I think Washington made some changes. It used to be uh, taxes at each step, and then they, they put it all on the retailer. And so that kind of is, seems to be hurting some retail businesses. Well, what's happening now is the federal government, as they're going through the process on legalization, has handed that responsibility over to the provinces in the task force report. And that's where each province will look at how they want to do it. So that really does seem to be following uh, the way that they've done so in the States. I wonder if that's the best way forward or not. Who knows? I guess that's how they've done it with uh, with liquor here. They've done it with liquor here. Um, there are those who will say to the federal government, um, other levels of government, we don't have the resources to take this on. Um, the federal government would uh, be correct in saying we've heard from you, from provinces and from municipalities. You don't want big federal government telling you what to do in your communities. So we just got to figure this all out together. 
Not having the resources to take it on sounds kind of like a chicken and egg problem to me, considering uh, how many, how, how much tax money it would bring in. Absolutely. And that's actually a really good way to articulate that, because that's what it is, is that at this point when um, provinces are looking at their books and um, municipalities are looking at their resources around policing and um, addiction services, uh, everybody's saying, listen, we need to get more money. But you're right, that money is going to come from taxation. And I think that part of the conversation Nish has been having is, well, how about allocating those tax dollars that come from cannabis directly into those services? Well, let's talk a little bit now about some of your the other stuff you have going on. You mentioned <laughs> you have a radio show. Yeah, I do a, a radio show on Roundhouse Radio 98.3 called She Talks because I'm a co-founder with Natasha Ray of a platform for women to share their real raw stories. Women are often told, be better, look better, do better. But we have a speaker series um, modeled like TED where women get up in eight minutes and share their journey. Uh, doesn't matter who the woman is, every woman in the audience um, really connects with them. Um, because we're telling women you're fine just the way you are. When you hear successful women get up and they have the same issues around mental illness, addictions, relationship breakups, being fired, caring for elderly patients, all of the things, as we call it, life, and a woman sees another woman survived, She's sort of motivated to say, you know what, I'm going to be okay too. And we don't hear that enough. And Roundhouse was good enough to give us an online platform. Very cool. So how often is that show? So that uh, that show is Saturdays at uh, 10 a.m. Uh, on the radio. Uh, we do a uh, number of events each year for She Talks. CNN actually picked us as the one of the top things in the world to do for International Women's Day the first year we launched. And I have a fabulous group of women who work on this. And we've built a really good network of women from all walks of life. So are there online resources for that as well? Yeah. At, if you go to shetalks.life, you can hear all of our radio programs. You can hear see the videos of all of our speakers. Uh, and again, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Verinder Rizod of Niche Canada and She Talks. Yes. Thank you very much for joining us on the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Thank you for having me, Drew. Oh, actually, one last thing. Oh. <laughs> uh, if listeners want to reach out directly to you, maybe via Twitter yeah. or something like that, what's a good way? Uh, my my Twitter handle and my Facebook page, Instagram is Barinder, B-A-R-I-N-D-E-R, Rasodi, R-A-S-O-D-E. And uh, I'm very engaged on Twitter, have been, was an early adopter, mostly to track my kids, but then I I like it more than they do. What about Snapchat? Uh, I'm on Snapchat too. Um, BKR Tough. Yeah, that's my Snapchat name. Very cool. I might actually install the app. I think you should. It's fun. It's fun. (laughs) Sounds good. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Drew. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Check out our website, vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. Much appreciated. You can follow us on Twitter, Van Tech Podcast. Feel free to leave some comments below. You can also hit us up on the YBR Dev, the Vancouver Tech, the Van Tech Slacks. I'm at James. And I'm at Drew. Special thanks to Same Room for hooking us up with an integration that allows us to have a cross-team Slack channel, Van Devs. Do you have a meetup that you want us to plug? Email us, show at vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Music by A Shell in the Pit from the game Parkitect. See you at one of the meetups around, around town. town.